Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. It's so good to have each and every one of you. If you are are in the back, come on. We got a lot of uh, we got a lot of uh, seats, so come on in. Uh, there's there's room to, to to swim around. For some reason, this is really heavy over on this side. You guys just you all wanted right over here at your little party, um, so it's okay. Um, but it is really good to have you. Um, I actually. <laughs> I'm really excited for today. I, I wasn't really excited. And then um, I'm very thankful for you, Miss Betty. I'm really excited. Um, I, what I'm excited for is that the discomfort, you, you're with me, you're trying, the discomfort that each of you had as you saw a woman who loves her Savior do something uncomfortable in your presence Woo! We're reading about that in Scripture today. The discomfort that you had, the discomfort that made you want to leave because you're like, what is happening? Because a woman vulnerably showed that she loves the Savior? <laughs> Watch yourself. Watch it. That's all I'm going to say. Watch yourself. This morning, we are opening up in a second to, to Luke chapter 7, and I would love for you to sit with me in it and learn with me, if you, if you will. Uh, let's just hear the Lord, all right? Let's, let's, let's let him. What would it be like if you actually said, Jesus, I'm coming to you um, moldable. Like, I, I need to be clay right now in your hands. Mold me. Shape me. Change me. Keep me. The whole time, he's going to keep you but mold me. Uh, what would it be like? I don't know what your life is. I don't know uh, what your week has been like, but I can, I can promise you that we can all realize we don't like life how it is right now. You, you with me? Anyone struggle this week? Like, it's just not good. Some of you, maybe you have parent relationships that are just not good. Some of you have relationships with, with friends that are just not good. You have relationships at work that are just not good. You have things going on that are just not good. It's interesting, this morning we are talking about a, the word connection a lot, uh, all right? So you're going to hear it's not actually written in Scripture, but it, there's, it's woven throughout this passage, this word, this idea of connection. Um, who's connected to Jesus often looks like the people that aren't connected to Jesus at times. And the people who look like they should be connected to, um, I don't know, understanding or strength, they are very disconnected. Uh, the word connect will come in. In fact, what I've been praying is like some of you, and I have this really big burden in my heart, some of you have really struggled with your connections this week. You felt disconnected from people. You maybe felt disconnected from yourself. Maybe some of you, you felt disconnected from the body of Christ. Others of you, you feel disconnected from this idea of who God is. Maybe you don't believe in Jesus as God, but you feel just disconnected. We're going to all be brought in to this passage. I have nothing fancy other than we're just going to read it because it's going to speak for itself. And we're going to let it teach us. Sound good? Open up to Luke chapter 7. 
We're in a series called Consider Him. So we're going to consider Jesus. Who is he in this passage? What is he doing? What's happening? Verse 36 is where it's going to be at. And scripture says this. One of the Pharisees, one of the Jewish leaders, one of the rabbis, one of the, one of the people who were looked up to in the culture of, of the Jewish uh, religion, like one of the Pharisees asks Jesus to eat with him. Come to my house. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house. And he took his place at the table. Verse 37, and a woman in the city who was a sinner. That actually word means a woman of the city, meaning she was known in the city. She got around in the city. Okay, Are we, she's a, she was a prostitute. Many theologians believe the woman of the city. That's a Greek idiom. Who was a sinner. Having learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brings an alabaster jar of ointment. Uh, anyone ever meet a prostitute? I have. Prostitute comes to Jesus. What are you going to do? A woman who you feel really awkward, why is she screaming in the middle of worship? What, what's happening? The prostitute comes to Jesus. And it continues, verse 38. She stands, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and she began to bathe his feet with her tears and began drying them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and began anointing them with her ointment, her perfume. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, his name was Simon, when he saw this, he said to himself, if this man Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is teaching him, that touching him. She's a sinner. He would know that. Verse 40, it says, Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Ooh, never good when, when that happens. Teacher, he replied, speak. And verse 41, Jesus says, a certain creditor had two debtors. One of them owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed him 50. And when they could not pay, the debtor said this. He canceled the debts for both. Now which of them, Simon, Jesus is saying, will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose it's the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And I think, yeah, who doesn't see her? Do you see this woman? I love it. He continues, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and has dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time that I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with this ointment. So therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I want to sit in this with you um, because this is a very 
seductive. This is very awkward. This is very sensual. This is very intimate. Instantly, what everyone was pushed into. Here is a prostitute who releases down her hair in the presence of many well-esteemed men and is making this ghastly scene. Like, this is, it's sensual. It's awkward. There's overtones and undertones of sexuality in this, and Jesus welcomes every bit of it to the disgust, the confusion, the anger, the hatred of all that were on the outside. Now, I just want to dive into this because it's going to teach us a couple things. One, uh, it's going to teach us what love is. It's going to teach us what sin is. It's going to teach us what, like, connection is actually praised what connections are not praised. It's, it's going to show us a lot as we dive into this, but I sort of want to get into this setting, okay? So let's just like dissect this. So I'm going to retell the story in a way that makes sense for us all. Sound good? The setting is a Pharisee's house. Now, this is not uncommon for Pharisees to throw little banquets, little parties. Uh, in fact, many of you maybe have never heard uh, the idea of a woman barging in. Is that common? Is that normal? So typically what it would be like is a Pharisee would say, I'm having a rabbi over. So rabbi would come, uh, people would come, and they would actually be in probably his back courtyard, able to be heard and seen by onlookers. In fact, a Pharisee wanted his home to be, to be outlandishly full of everyone. Because look at this, this rabbi, it gives me a good name. We're having this higher intellectual conversation and so all can learn. And so it's very common for onlookers to, to, be, to be hearing in, to be listening in. Now, what is not common is for a woman to be in the presence. What is not even more common is for a sinful woman, known from her getting around to be present in this place, but she is. And so now as we get into this, what, just what, so you would, what, wow, just so that you know what it would have been like, Jesus is sitting at a table. It's not like those chairs and our tables. It was a lower table, probably sitting on some pillows. And the way that it would be, if I can show you right here, he'd be sitting on a pillow like this with his left elbow on the table. And this is how he would recline. His shoes off, this is how it was. And obviously it would be way better on your back because you're elevated on a pillow. <laughs> right? And his feet would literally be behind him, okay? So when scripture now says that a woman comes standing behind him, not even to his face, and begins crying and bathing his feet, it's because she got so close, she's standing over him, and her tears are literally falling at the thing pointing at her, his feet. Now, it gets a little beautiful, a little more beautiful as we dive into this, but that's the image that I want to paint. This isn't, oh, wait, we've sometimes seen pictures of Jesus sitting like this, and she's in front of him. No, Scripture says she's behind him, and that's, and you're like, how does his feet behind? That's how, okay? That's how. He's reclining in a way where his feet are pointed behind, and the reason you would want the dirtiest part of your body to be pointing away from the eating place, okay? That's, that's the custom. That's to keep the table clean and to keep the guests clean. So that's what was happening. But the woman comes to the dirtiest place of her Savior and says, I'll even take the dirtiest part to show you my adoration. It's beautiful. I'll even take the most unseen part 
to just care for, to tend. And so now we have three characters. Obviously, we have the Pharisee Simon, we have this woman, and we have Jesus. And I just want to give you a little understanding before we dive into this. Simon the Pharisee, we can look negatively on him, but honestly, a lot of the like commentators that have been reading and diving in, let's put him in a positive light. He is not, most of the time when scripture talks about Pharisees trying to dine with Jesus, they put this undertone that the Pharisee is trying to trap Jesus. Luke doesn't say that about Simon. In fact, like it gives this idea that Simon genuinely is interested to know who Jesus is. Not, not as shamefully interested, which is Nicodemus at night. Like Nicodemus came in the, in the evening because he was too afraid of what people would think of him being seen with Jesus. Simon throws a party, wants to know Jesus, and invites him in. This is a very different. He wants to know the Savior. He thinks. Now, I just want to let this know. Uh, this is the person who, I mean, many of you, you've come to church because you want to know Jesus. Uh, like, let's see how real this is. I want to know intellectually the things about the Bible so that I can better my life. This is the, the pursuit that, that Simon uh, had. It was a very Jewish pursuit. Um, it was a very, uh, I, some of you, like, have you heard the phrase, uh, that's a good truth, and that's a good truth, and that's a good truth, and I can form my life by just putting together a lot of good truths. Anyone ever, you know, you've seen that in our culture, right? This is Simon. Here's a good rabbi. He's speaking Torah, and maybe I can understand a little bit from him, but never have to get close. You see, the thing about Simon is he has a very genuine interest in Jesus, but he wants to stay arm's length. He has a very disconnected relationship with Jesus. In fact, we see Jesus says, you didn't kiss me. You kissed maybe your neighbor when he came in. You, you, you didn't want to touch me. He has a very disconnected relationship with Jesus. Like I also want to say he desires to understand, but wants this intellectual conversation void of emotion, void of interpersonal things, void of personal connection. I'm just going to like, the reason you felt really uncomfortable as Miss Betty was screaming is a lot of you do not have a personal connection with Jesus where you would vulnerably scream in front of people to say, I believe him as my king. You are good. Did you hear what she's yelling? You good. You are Jesus. You are good. There is this disconnect sometimes with our heart, our emotions, and the direction they are pointed. He, she worships Jesus freely. He wants to make a nice assessment from afar. He doesn't think that he needs Jesus. It's really interesting. Then obviously there's this sinful woman who wants to worship without restrictions. There's nothing else. And she shows up for Jesus like, since I have arrived, Jesus says, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Like she was there waiting with the intention, I must meet him. A lot of people believe that she had this transformation long before seeing him in this moment. In fact, many people traveled behind it. And right before this was when Jesus stood on a mountain and said, come to me, all who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. 
I believe, like, without a doubt, she's hearing the teachings of Jesus, if not spoken from him, spoken from another. And she hears, come to me, all who are weak, and I will give you rest. And she's like, I believe. All I need is to come to him. He spoke, come to, him, come to me, I'm going. And, and so she's taking this call and saying, I need him. There's this beautiful connection. I'm willing to treat you as you say you are, the Lord. And then there's this broken connection. This, I'll keep you at arm's length so that I can understand what you have so that I can just do my thing with it. This is very in interesting dynamic. And then there's obviously Jesus. And I love this. If you look at the passage, he actually gives both of them what they want. He does. He is a good God who gives his people what they ask for. You expect Jesus to just be an intellectual thing to give you, you what you need to do today, a next step. Jesus will do that. I'll give you a good step. I'll give you a good thing. If you treat Jesus like a wishing box or a, 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 a way to, to better my life, then he'll be that for you. He won't be your savior. There will be no, no fix from your sin. But he will provide you with some solid things that you can wrestle with. Simon wanted an intellectual conversation. And so Jesus said, hey, Simon, come over here. Let me tell you a parable. Literally, he gave Simon what he wanted, a heavy, high intellectual conversation. But he also gave this woman everything she wanted. You see, you go to Jesus wanting lot, you get lot. If you go to Jesus wanting little, you will get little. If you go to Jesus wanting a lot, you will get a lot. Needing a lot, you will get a lot. But if you go to him to just keep yourself grounded, steady, he will say, that is sand. That is building your house on sand. I'll give you what you want, the tools to build your house with, but it's not the foundation that'll be steady. You see, there's this very different thing, and just like I told you, the word connection is going to be spoken over and over. As Jesus interacts, he's connecting with these two characters. There's also these two notions that are floating around in the story, and maybe if you're taking notes, I want you to write this, the notions of great sin and great love. Have you noticed that? Like, she is a sinner. She is thought of as being great with sin. But it's interesting, that notion of being great with sin is also spoken by Jesus as being great with love. But then there's Simon, who is little with sin, and he also has a little with love. These, these two notions of what we're connect connected with, it's scandalous, like I told you, it r ruffles our feathers, it makes us uncomfortable. But if we let it, like, I'm really hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit he will start realizing and re revealing in our hearts some of our negative connections with this word, great sin, great love, connections with other people. So before we even get into this, I, I just really feel the need to pray. Is, is that okay? Can I, can I pray for us? Uh, Father, in this place right now, I just pray just an absence of the spirit of the enemy. I pray that he must leave, that all distractions must just fall away. 
And God, in this place, I just pray right now that we would come humbly realizing that we love very little. I just pray right now that we would not try to put ourselves in the boat of either this woman or this Pharisee, but we would realize the awkward middle ground we lie in too far often. That there are recesses of my heart that are in need of your great forgiveness, of my realization of it. So God, in this place right now, just give us clarity of heart, of mind, of purpose. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would start knocking on the doors of those who are far away from you. And right now, I also just pray for clarity of thought. You've given us a clear mind, a sober mind. So help us to think. In your name, Jesus, amen. If I can tell you right now, great sin, all of sin can be wrapped up into this. This is maybe a weird definition for you. It could be wrapped up as being a connection problem. Literally, all of sin. You're like, what? Every bit of your sins, they can all be wrapped up as being a connection problem. Like, I, I just want to travel. Obviously, in a Christian world, we know, like, it first started because of a connection problem with the Father, right? But let's just, like, not even throw in God. Like, let's, did you realize bad things like, let's say you're not a believer, okay? You have no idea or di desire to believe in a creator God. Let's just sit in the fact that bad things happen in our world. I think we can all agree that bad things happen because of a connection problem. Psychologically, uh, a connection problem with my parents will lead me to do bad things from it, right? A connection problem with myself can lead me to either think too highly of myself or think too less of myself and a lot of bad things can come from it right really a lot of our sin problems which we don't have, a lot of our bad habits if we don't like the word sin a lot of our bad beliefs a lot of our hatred a lot of our self-hatred a lot of our frustrations a lot of our bad things come from connection problems now, to put it in a perspective of a Christian world, it started first because we have a bad connection with our Savior. We really do. We have a poor connection with our Savior. Now, he saved us, but my mind still feels like I'm 3,000 miles away from him, right? Anyone else feel like that at times? Like, he may have saved me, but my mind just feels like it's like millennia away from Jesus. Like, what's happening, God? Well, that connection problem leads me to do a lot of things, right? My connection problem with the Father really starts making me doubt myself. Maybe you have insecurities because of a connection problem. Maybe you have uh, pride. Look at these people in the passages. Simon, he may be a Pharisee. He may look really nice. He may look very clean. He has a cr connection problem. Did you know the Pharisees? were some of the most unapproachable people. If you know anyone who's unapproachable, they have a connection problem. They do. If you know a pastor who's unapproachable, call me out if you feel like I'm being unapproachable, please, because that shows a connection problem. Now, sometimes if you're the only one who feels that way, you might have a connection problem. You might think that I need to be more for you than, than I actually do, right? We see this, but overwhelmingly so, the Pharisees had connection problems. They wouldn't be seen without their garments. That's a connection problem. 
They would not be seen without their little tassels, connection and problem. I, w- I will not show you me until I'm pretty. That's a connection problem. I will not show you me till I'm put together. Now this woman had her whole host of connection problems too. Whole host of it. In fact, I read, and I wasn't going to say this, um, I read in uh, scripture and, and then in commentaries and all that, so Freud, you know, psychological man, uh, Sigmund Freud, we got this. Uh, so he coined this idea that religion is um, repressed sexuality. And so he sort of did this whole belief of destroying down the concept of religion, of a God, simply because it's just our way of repressing our sexuality, our connection with people. So we try to form up this idea of being connected to the universe or being connected. And so he, he literally, that's a belief in the psychological world. But a commentary, I loved it, flipped this on the side, on its head. In fact, you remember growing up, I'll just put it this way. Do you remember growing up when you were like, I'm going to be pure? And you like had this whole heart change and anyone else? I got made fun of for wanting to not have sex before marriage. People told me I was missing out on life, right? Because for some reason, the world sees Christianity as being a repressed sexual life. But this passage shows the opposite. This woman had a very, quote unquote, full sexual life. But in this one moment, she shows a satisfaction like never before. Why? Because it's actually the opposite. Spirituality is not a repressed sexuality. Uh, Sexuality falsely lived out is a repressed spirituality. People are, are connecting with the world falsely because they have a disconnect with the Father. People are connecting with the world falsely because they have a disconnect with the groom the bridegroom. Now, some of you men, like, you're going to have to just own the fact that Jesus is a man, and he intimately came so that you could be his bride. And the reason you don't like that is because often we think of it in terms of me and Jesus and not us and Jesus. So it shows, even in that, a connection problem. (laughs) I can't take Jesus as my groom. Well, why? because I just, I just don't see it that way? Or are you actually struggling to submit to a community so that you can see Jesus as your groom? There's a connection problem. So there's a lot. But I really like, there's a connection problem. And then we see this woman who shows in one moment something that looks so aghast, disgusting, confusing, sensual. Like, you just pushed us all into that, ma'am. Like, why would you do that? You know, like, I just think about how angry all of these men are. You just made my eyes unclean by touching him. You just made me unclean by doing that thing. But she actually shows the most purest form of connection ever. Worship, adoration, outlandish and radical love. Like, that is connection. That is what Jesus would say, love. So if all of sin can be defined as a connection problem, can I just tell you what real love is? Real love is truly connecting with the Lord, ourselves, and others, as he's defined it to be. That really is. You want to know what an understanding of love is? It is this genuine and wholehearted connection with Jesus, with myself, and with other people. It is. 
Sin will come from a false connection, but love is the fruit of a real connection, of a genuine connection. And it's so beautiful because then what happens next is this Pharisee, he has this angry thought and Jesus calls him out and says, hey, Simon, come over here. I have something for you. And then the parable happens. I'm going to read the parable to you again. It says a certain creditor had two people who owed him money. One owed 500 denarii. Denarii is is, uh, like a daily wage. All right. So 500 days worth of money. The other owed him 50 days worth. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? I will tell you right now that Simon thought of this in a very worldly way, much like you did. I say 50 50 days worth. Some of you could think, if I owe 50 days worth of money, I could probably pay that. I could probably pay that if I need to. Like, I don't have the money right now, but I could work a little harder to pay for it. You see, that's the thought process in this is the $50 guy doesn't love the, the, the canceled debt because he could have probably done it on his own. But the 500 did love the, the, the cancel of the debt more because it would have taken him a lot longer to pay it back. You see, he, there, we make this idea very worldly, but the parable does not highlight the amount or the quantity of one's sin. It doesn't but just the awareness of that sin's debt to your heart. The issue is not that one had 50 and one had 500. The issue is they couldn't pay it. And in their story, without putting yourself into it, they could never pay it. That's the issue. But we like to think of it like this. It's not. The fact is, you sinned, you sinned. You might have sinned, and your sin was pretty sin. Your sin might have been ugly sin, but you still sinned. I I was reading a commentary, and it said, all right, so (laughs) this was really funny. I laugh, and you don't know what I'm saying. Okay. One man got bit by a spider and died. The other man got mauled by a lion, ripped to shreds, and died. One had a pretty death. One had an ugly death. Who's more dead? That's literally what it, some of you have a pretty life, all embellished and high up. You, your disconnect is not seen by outwardly things. You're not hurting anyone else with your sin. It, it's a pretty life. And then others, our sin's ugly. What we don't realize is sin's ugly no matter what. And whether it's 50 or 500, the point is not that one's little and one's big. The point is they couldn't pay it regardless. No amount could be fixed. It's interesting. It does, not know, it does not matter how much debt you have if you have no way of ever paying it back. But I think I'll tell you a thought process that we all have. I can pay it back by just knowing a little bit better. If I just fix it, this is the Simon thought. If I just think, I don't, I don't see my weight of sin, and I also miss it in this others. And so then Jesus says this little call. Do you see this woman? I love it. He gave this wonderful little parable, gave him his intellectual high, 
and then says, now, Simon, do you see this woman? Nothing has been in the way of her loving me. Nothing has been in the way of her loving me. Jesus literally says, and I need you to understand this, uh, small love comes from a big gap between you and me. Big love comes from a small gap between me and you. Is this making sense? The reason she's loving great is because her debt has been paid and she is close to me. The reason you are loving little is because your debt is great and you're staying arm's length from me. Big love comes from a small gap. Small love from big gap. And it's really interesting. We can think of it in terms of just Jesus, but the, this woman proves something. She proves that great love is the product of one knowing the depth of my debt and knowing the cost, that forgiveness, the cost of forgiveness that was paid by the Redeemer. Like, I need you to hear that. Two parts. She knew the great debt, the great depth of her sin. There's no way that I can pay it. But she also knew, <laughs> she knew that debt will always come at a cost. It will. If someone's going to cancel 500 denarii, that comes from their own pocket then. They're not getting fed. She understands if Jesus is going to forgive me, that means he has to pay it. He has to pay it. And because he paid it, it's paid indeed. It's done. You see, the woman proves that great love is the product of like knowing both her debt and how great it was and knowing the cost of, of her forgiveness. That, that he paid a lot. But I love this because radical love does not just talk to me and Jesus. It, it, it's, it also deals with the love that we have to others. And so to bring that connection word back in, you can write this, like where little love exists, connection problems abound in your thoughts and your actions. And this is something that I still get shocked by. To bring us all into this, you showcased a connection problem this week. You were hateful. You slandered someone. You're like, I didn't say it out loud, but you thought it. You were hateful to them, about them. You showed a connection problem this week. You thought only of yourself. You see, the, the human brain is really interesting. Even when an issue arrives, like arrives to us, our first instinct of the flesh is to just think about how that issue affects us. You did that this week, and so you responded from it. Where little love exists in our hearts, connection problems abound. And we need to bring ourselves into the story because we all have places of our heart where love is not abounding. And why isn't love abounding? One of two reasons. We either do not believe there is a debt that had to be paid. We do not see sin clearly. Or, honestly, I think this is a lot of it, you do not believe fully the cost that Jesus paid so that that would be freed. 
those one, one of those two things, little love exists in my heart because still I do not believe that Jesus' death on the cross really had my sin attached to it. And it really paid me. And little love exists in me at times because the connection problem, I always either think I am too sinful or I don't sin. Anyone else like, right? I'm either too sinful or not sinful at all. Both prohibit me from seeing the point of the Savior. His presence, his power, his goodness. And I, I just, I get shocked all the time by, I'm like, where did that come from in me? Anyone ever think that? Like you just said something very outlandish. You're like, where did that come from? It's a connection problem. You have little love in that place of your heart. How does he need to break forth? How does he need to come in? And what I find so fascinating about this whole story is Jesus doesn't even demand you to have a lavishing love. He doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't rebuke Simon for not loving like this woman. He just rebukes Simon for not even loving, period. Like it's really, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't expect you to do what you can't do. He expects you to give what you can give. Simon, I came in and you didn't greet me with a kiss. Simon, I came in and you didn't even provide water for me to wash my own feet with. Simon, I came in and you didn't anoint my head with a greeting. You didn't even do the least. I'm not rebuking you because you haven't loved like her. Listen, I'm not rebuking you right now because you haven't loved like, like, like Miss Betty this morning yelling or, or whatever. That's not the point. The rebuke comes from what happens in our heart that labels us and separates us even more from the God that we should be loving. He has given you the ability to love him fully right now with what you have, and we don't. We don't. So the word, the consider, uh, if you want to take this on, I should have had that the lavish love is a beautiful display of our awareness of what his showing up actually means for us. And this is why lavish love is so powerful. Jesus doesn't demand it. He doesn't expect it from you. But the lavish love is the product of a belief in our heart of what him showing up means for us. The fact that he showed up in this place, the fact that he showed up this week, the fact that he keeps providing lavish love is just the display of us believing, knowing our awareness. Jesus, you showed up and it's what it means for me. You were on a cross and on that cross was my sin, my shame, my burdens, my barriers, and they were paid for. You showing up means a whole lot for me. So that's what lavish love is. Now, do you sit in the reality that you've been forgiven greatly? Like, I, what would happen? You want to know why revival has been breaking out in our, in our cities, in our, our, our states, our country? It's because people are actually believing that Jesus showing up means something to them. It is. Now, we can stand on the outside aghast, or we can just simply ask, Jesus, do I believe that you actually covered a whole debt of sin that I couldn't pay for myself? Do I actually believe it? 
Do I actually believe that my sin was hideous and that your son, Father, like that your son became hideous so that I could become righteous? Do I really believe that? Like, and I know that sounds like so, oh, uh, okay, Greg. But do you believe it? Because your connection problems or healthy connection would begin displaying it. They would. They would. But you just don't know the depths of the pain that I've had. He does. Here's a woman who has been in bed with many men who instantly, the one man who has he not just uh, can, can pay for her to live, but literally could pay for her to live with freedom. Wow. Why does she love a lot? Because she has had nights of looking at herself very negatively. She has had nights of being treated and abused and hurt and punished. She has had nights of thinking of herself on lesser terms. And now a savior says, your lesser terms do not matter. I'm becoming even less so that you could be holy. Why does she love a lot? She realized I am wicked without him. I am broken without him. I am everything that I, I fear I am. And he can make me, he can heal me to become everything that he is. That's huge. So if you want to write down the consider, we're going to begin to consider him this morning with our all. With our all. And I know that sounds so simple, but consider him with my all. He's not asking you to consider him with things you don't have. He's asking you to consider him with everything you do have. He is. We love little because we do not believe he actually has forgiven us. And so we keep harshly speaking, we keep harshly thinking, but I love this. So if I can just end with this way, this is just going to me hit really quickly on, on what she does to show love. Can I do that for you? Uh, what she does, and this is just very quickly, boom, 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 because what my hope is for you is for you to realize that you can actually begin rewriting some of your connection problems because your debt is already been paid. It's not like Jesus has to die again. Your debt has already been paid, and so you can begin implementing these things. How do I consider Jesus with my all? Well, we do exactly what she does, and I love it because her mission just began simply by bringing this alabaster jar. Like, that's all Scripture says, a sinful woman who had a jar. She had no idea what she was going to do in the moment. Like, but the jar, I'm going to skip down to that. That was everything. I don't know if you realize what an alabaster jar is. It could have been her inheritance given to her at a young age that she now had nothing else to use. So she began, like many women did who were supposed to be older and married, she began wearing it on her shirt. And the thing about these alabaster jars is they, the neck was so long and narrow that it could not pour out, but it could be smelled. So women of honor and valor would wear it with display to show how, one, wealthy they were, to show how, how put together, because it was smelly. It smelled nice. But prostitutes also wore it. They wore it to show a good smell, to lure in men, to get money for the day. 
And so this became for her all she had to keep her life going. Like it was. And so her, po- her, her thought, her purpose, I'm going to give literally everything I have for Jesus. I truly believe her only purpose that day was to use this. Maybe she was going to give it to him. Maybe she was going to literally like give him to support. I don't know. She had an intention with this jar, and I don't believe it went as fully in her mind as it happened in the moment. Right? Miss Betty did not realize today she was going to come and scream. You never planned that. But Miss Betty did say, I'm going to give Jesus my all today. Right? Like you, you, you have this idea that I'm going to give him everything I have. And then when the moment comes, it's always more than you thought. And it's beautiful. But what I love is specifically she does three acts for Jesus. And all of them involve his feet. They all involve his feet which is quite honestly, we would all agree a little bit like more intimate than we would like to describe, right? Your feet are nasty. And um, you luckily have shoes on uh, to cover it up. But the, he, d- Jesus didn't. And so what this woman is saying is even her na- his nastiest is worthy of my attention. Like he is everything. He is all I can have. I don't deserve his face. These feet are enough. But I also, it, it's just beautiful. They, these, all three things are, are this reality that she did this in a, uh, a room full of people who didn't want her to be there. You, th- you think of that? A lot of the times we limit our love because of the idea of who's going to be there. A lot of times we limit our love. Uh, think about what she did. She embarrasses herself. In the world's eyes, she has embarrassed Christ. In religion's eyes, uh, she has made Jesus unclean by touching him. I mean, literally everyone said that this act is hideous, heinous, ungodly. But she had to do it. It's it's just beautiful. So she came and these three things happened. Um, One, it says she washed his feet with her tears. I will notice your needs. One commentary uh, said, like, so it's very custom. Jesus wasn't just rebuking Simon for the, the, the fun of it. It was very custom for that water bowl to be in place. If you're going to host a rabbi, you just, you simply provide water for him to clean his feet with. But it didn't get cleaned. And so I cannot, I mean, one of the, many of the commentators, Matthew Henry, a lot of the things that I was reading actually noticed that the woman may be very emotional in general, but realized that Jesus was not treated the way that he should have been treated. Like she comes in realizing there is an absence of love to her savior. His feet are dirty at a table. And so many people believe that she washes his feet because she saw the need. Like you want to know what lavish love is? Go into a place knowing that you're giving Jesus your all and realize what the needs are. You want to lavishly love Jesus? Start seeing the dirty needs that we're not met, that we're not taken care of. And so she weeps. Now, we can like quickly go over this. It seems less tangible to understand this piece until we start pondering the question, um, what had her tears been wetting up until this point in her life? Like we can zoom past this until we like actually ask ourselves, 
what has her tears been wetting for the rest of her life? And you're like, that's a weird question. Well, think about it. What has your tears been wetting? Do they wet her pillow late at night? No one can see her vulnerable, broken. Does she always have to look? She's got to fix her face because if a man sees her cry, like she's going to lose her money for the day. Like quite literally, who has seen her tears thus far? Anyone? What does this mean for her to cry in public? Cry in front of a man? Is this, has she ever cried in front of a man? If you know anything about the, the nature of abuse, one of the first things that you protect as someone who's been victimized and abused is your emotions. If you know anyone who's been abused in the past, the first thing that a woman decides to withhold from anyone are her tears. I will not let someone let me be that vulnerable again. I will not cry like that again. She sees the Savior. He has a need, and she vulnerably opens up. We can go past this, but do you want to know why you have little love in your life? Is because you have not let what Jesus has done touch you to the core where you will let the fountains fall. Like, you will let him have it all. Like, you will let it. And I did not mean to rhyme right there. Like, you will let him, you will let yourself be seen as vulnerable, as needy, as weeping. It's beautiful. She either only let her pillow see it, or she let nothing see it and held it in. But in this moment, it was for his feet. The next thing, she lets down her hair and dries his feet. Two parts of this, both very astounding. Uh, now it's really common for ladies to have their hair down. It's very common in this culture. No. You showed your husband that, and that is it. The, the woman's hair was her crown of glory. Like it literally was. A woman's hair was her beauty. It was this symbolic show. Like, I mean, let's, you're in a movie, and a woman takes, like you're watching a movie, and a woman takes her hair down. You know, uh-oh. Something's about to happen. It's getting saucy. Woman takes her hair down. She does this little shake. You know. You know. That's the point when we start guarding our children's eyes. No, don't keep looking. Because what happens when a woman puts her hair down is she feels at home. She feels vulnerable. She's re she feels open and, and, and at peace often. Or it's the opposite. In this woman's day and age, she, that meant she had to be used. I put my hair down. I have to be used. But also, a prostitute put her hair down on a corner to attract men to come to her. This was her way from afar to get her way from afar. Does this make sense? And instantly, she allows her glory to be dirtied. She allows her glory to be dirtied by the feet of the Savior. This is nothing but filthy rags in comparison to you, Jesus. You know, want to know why you have connection problems? Because you still hold tight the things that you think give you glory. You do. And so when those become at question, you get angry. When those things come at question, you start getting snippet, like you, you start you start attacking people vulnerably or vocably. Wow. 
struggling with words. But she decides in this moment, the glory that is mine is nothing in comparison to him. I will use it to clean his feet. I will use it. It'll never be the same because it has touched him. And that's a beautiful picture. But not only that, like the, the next thing that she does, the greatest tool is now used for him in the lowest of ways. But now she anoints Jesus and kisses his feet. She takes it further. Like I don't even know what her original point was. But this is all she had. Like she, all she had was the thing going on her neck. around, her, Like it was the allure for men to be, it was, it was the thing on her dirtiest days, she could put that on and still smell good. Like it was everything. Was she going to give it to Jesus? I don't know. But what she does instead is just beautiful. She breaks it and clean, cleanses, soothes his feet. Now, I, I read like this. This is not uncommon, but it was very, it was very lavish. Wealthy people would ask to get their feet massaged. It would soothe from a long walk. Like they would ask their feet to be adorned with this kind of ointment. It would, it would uh, cleanse. It would, it would help them to feel. It would be like a nice pedicure, ladies. But a very expensive one. No one in this day and age would have been able to afford something like that. You don't use it just for feet. But she literally, this is my everything, my tool, and now it's nothing. So when Paul says, like, everything I had, I consider garbage for the sake of knowing you, my Savior. I will treat this like nothing in comparison to you. Like this is the kind of love, every, every, every gain that I've had, every, every compliment that has been given to me, every like good thing about Greg is garbage to the pursuit of knowing Christ, being found in him. Like that's what Paul says. Want to know why you still have connection problems with people around you? Because you still think your alabaster jar is all you have. You still think these things make you enough. You still think these things validate you. You still think that they are good to keep as a protection. They're good to keep as a, as a way out. And she throws them down. Now, I realized it's really long, and I told myself I wouldn't do this again. Uh, but I just want to just pause and just invite the Lord to be at work in this place. Jesus right now, Jesus right now you are here. And there are people in the room, me, who often see the church as a way to get me my pat on the back to make me feel good. I mean, some of you have even said, you thought, my life has gotten better since I've come to Glory Church. I'm learning things. He, it's speaking to me. But Lord, there has not been an adoration of you in it. So God, in this place right now, I just pray that there would be a transition in our heart. 
from wanting to come to you with, for good things. Uh, there'd be a transition in our heart from wanting to come to you with an understanding of how I can live my life better to instead coming to you with our all. You don't want anything else but us. Father, the reason why we keep slandering people, the reason why we keep randomly cutting people down, the reason why we keep struggling in our marriages, at our workplace, the reason why we struggle to believe that we are who you say we are is because of this connection problem. So Jesus, right now, I, I command my heart to notice you, to see where, where there are dirty feet that need to be cleaned, to see where you're at work. God, I command my heart to come bearing my all. God, I command my heart. We command our hearts to put down our hair, our glory, and consider it garbage for the sake of knowing you. God, I pray in this place that we would not sit. We would not sit as scoffers like the Pharisee. But we would come laying down at all, sit as this woman, falling at the feet of you. Jesus, in this place, I just pray right now just that you would move. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.